This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. I practice, I live by the law, perfect, blameless by the law. However, he knew that his inward life was filthy, wretched, and sinful. But if it wasn't for the law, he would have never known that that sin, that inward sin that was in his mind, his heart was wrong. It was sin against God. It was filthy if it wasn't for the law. Many of us have probably heard several people say that they think they're a good person and that they live a good life. However, when we point them to God's law, it turns out that no one is as good as they think. So why not get rid of the law? In today's message, Pastor Eddie expands upon Paul's statement of what it means to have not known sin, but by the law. In our study, we learn how the law both reveals our sin to us and how our only hope of salvation comes through the work of the cross. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie in Romans chapter 7 for today's edition of Running the Race. don't serve God in sin or in legalism or religion or with a bunch of rules or do's and don't know. We serve him with a newness of spirit. We have the Holy Spirit within us. We do things in the spirit, not in the flesh. Our freedom is so that we can serve Christ better. This is a new freedom. We can serve Christ better with a newness of spirit. In our service to him is motivated by love, not fear. It is the service of freedom, not bondage that now we have in Christ. And that's why there's so much legalism. That's why there's so many denominations within Christendom is because people have all these rules and regulations. And I have been there and I've been there. I tell you, I've been to a really strict legalistic church where everything was a sin. And yes, I was saved. I loved Jesus and I knew about the cross and I knew about salvation, but I wasn't mature enough in the word because I didn't study and it wasn't a Bible teaching church. It was a motivational speaking church. But when I started understanding doctrine and studying God's word verse by verse, chapter by chapter, I started to understand my freedom in Christ. Because in legalism, I had to do all these rules and rituals. It made me serve God difficult. It was hard for me to be, think that I was free in Christ when I had all these rules and regulations. Exactly what Jews did in Judaism. Remember, uh, like these, uh, these rabbis, Rabbi Hillel, like we just finished speaking about. God said, you know, remember the Sabbath. Oh, we got to make it more strict than that, Lord. You don't know what you're talking about. We're going to add 13 chapters. You can't carry your rug. You, know, you can't kick a stone. <laughs> And they had all these, they made it difficult to worship God. It's not like that anymore. It's not like that anymore with Christ. Now, I've mentioned in the opening of our study that Paul, after he's been going over and over again, how free we are 
from the law. He gave the analogy in marriage to show us how we uh, died to the old husband. Now we have Christ as a church. And now he's going to praise the law. And now for you students who um, are studying outlining our text this morning, in this chapter, notice all the personal pronouns in this chapter. You see, Paul, he's going to mention himself over and over again. As a matter of fact, the personal pronouns that he uses is me, he uses 12 times, just this chapter alone. Myself, one time. I, 32 times. Me, myself, and I all combined 45 times in this chapter alone. Paul is not doing what other people might do, just pointing at other people, because, you know, sin doesn't look really bad when you do it, but it sure looks bad when somebody else does it. And Paul is going to include himself. He's not going to exclude himself because Paul knew how hard it was to keep the law. Coming from Paul, this letter is so crucial, so important, because Paul knew how hard it was to keep up with the law. He knew later on that he could not keep the law in his own strength. And so he is not pointing fingers at anyone. He's not excluding himself, but he's including himself. And now, uh, yeah, I think this is incredible coming from Paul because Paul at one time was a Pharisee. In fact, Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Paul had confidence in his flesh. He had confidence in the fact that he was a Pharisee and he lived by the law and he practiced the law to the T. But after he met Jesus... Changed everything. On his road to Damascus experience, when he accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and personal Savior, as a Pharisee, he took pride, pride in keeping the law. He even described himself as a Pharisee uh, when he wrote his letter to the church in Philippi. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 and 6, Paul wrote to them, he says, If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so, circumcised the eighth day, the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuted the church, concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. This is who I was before Jesus. I lived by the law, and I took pride that I was blameless with the law. And so coming from Paul, this is really important. And so here's what Paul has to say about the law. It's just, again, it's just amazing because if you look at that resume, it's a, it's a really incredible resume for legalistic religious Pharisee. Verse 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Paul knows that there's going to be some wise guy, right? Let me tell you something. I know a lot of Jewish people, and, they, and let me tell you something. They are the law. They, they, you, don't, you just can't tell them something. They're going to find out. They're going to research it. You just can't tell them some story. You can't just read the headline of a newspaper and just tell them that's, what it, that's what's going on. No, they do their research. And so Paul knows that his, most of his audience are Jews who are converted to Christendom. And so now what he's doing is he's answering questions, knowing that someone is going to think, well, based on what you tell me, Paul, is the law sin? Is it bad? He says, certainly not. Verse 7, on the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law has said, you shall not covet. And so he's answering 
what he believes, many would ask. Taking what he's saying, taking what he wrote, take it out of context, misinterpreting it. And Paul says, certainly not. You remember in back in chapter 3, verse 20, Romans chapter 3, verse 20, Paul said it reveals sin. He said, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. It shows us, it tells us that we're sinful in nature. Also, in the church of Galatia, he writes that it's been our teacher. Galatians chapter 3, verses 24 and 25. Paul says, therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under the tutor. The same way, you went to school, you learned from your teacher, you went to college, you got your degree. Your professor, is he going to go on in life with you? No. He's not going to be part of your career. He's not going to be part of your marriage. He's definitely not going to be in your honeymoon. You're leaving back at school, right? The same way, we've been married to Christ. That tutor, it's behind us now. We've learned and we've taken and we're not going to forget anything we've learned because it's good. Now notice, out of all the commandments that Paul could have used, not looking at the Ten Commandments, but looking at all 613 commandments in the old Bible, but, you know, for the sake of this Out of all the Ten Commandments, he quotes, you shall not covet. You shall not covet. And I find that interesting. I'll tell you why. Of all the commandments that are listed before the Tenth Commandment, one through nine, all those commandments we can hear, there's evidence that we can hear of this breaking commandment, breaking the commandment, and there's evidence that we could see. For example, you shall not have no other gods before you. Oh, we have so many gods. Cell phones, Facebook, cars, sports. We got so many gods, right? We can see that. We can see that people have placed things in, instead of God. Verse, uh, the second one, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. We could see so many idols, so many images. And, and we're not talking about those that worship idols and statues and think that they could be blessed by it. Like if it's alive, plaster can't do nothing for you or wood. But there are other gods that we have as idols. We could see that. The next commandment, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. How often we heard people use the Lord's name in vain and even use a curse word with it. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. We can see if people are actually keeping a day holy for the Lord. When they come to church and they fellowship, we could see if they do that or not. Honor your mother and father. Oh, we could see that. We could see a spoiled brat disrespect his parents, right? The parents could see it. You shall not murder. Definitely can see that. You shall not commit adultery. It takes two. You shall not steal. If something's missing, you're the only guy in the room. Hello. Five-finger discount. It's still a sin. You shall not bear fault witness against thy neighbor. How many people have lied about someone else? See, these things that we could witness, whether it's visual, audio, anyway, we could... Witness, however, you should not covet. We can't see that. That's deep within the heart. That's deep within the mind. Only God knows. Only God knows what's in our heart, knows what's in our mind. Now, covetousness is this, desiring another person's uh, possessions in a sinful manner. Wanting what someone else has. Wanting what someone else has. Another man, a woman's car, house, a woman's husband, a man's wife. That's covetousness. 
And it's, no one knows if you really are thinking about it or really desiring it. It's only 18 inches, the brain from the heart. And we think that, oh, you know, it's in the mind, you know, I can't control that. Oh, yes, you can control it. Yes, sometimes you get these thoughts and, okay. The only, the only time you can't control is when you're sleeping. That's a common care for when people tell me about dreams. You had a piece of chocolate cake before you went to bed. I was supposed to, it's supposed to be spiritual, you know. But only God knows. Let's put it as a perfect example. If I was to take the cable from the monitors here and just stick it in your brain, if it was to reveal everything you thought of, would you be happy? No. You would run out this room. One part would come back. No one knows. No one can see that. We need to, as the scriptures say, take every thought captive. Don't entertain those thoughts because later on it becomes action. And so Paul knows about this sin, how dangerous this is. It's something deep within. You see, at one time Paul thought that his outward life had been uh, relatively blameless. I practice, I live by the law, perfect, blameless by the law. However, he knew that his inward life was filthy, wretched, and sinful. But if it wasn't for the law, he would have never known that that sin, that inward sin that was in his mind, his heart was wrong. It was sin against God. It was filthy if it wasn't for the law. Verse 8, he says, But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. In other words, sin produced in me. It aroused all kinds of evil covetousness, all kinds of desires within me inwardly and caused me to sin. Verse 9, he says, I was alive once without the law, but when the commandments came, sin revived and I died. What does he mean that he was Alive once without the law. He was without the law once. He was alive without the law. When did that take place? Paul is referring to the time of his childhood. Before he reached the age of accountability. And this is important. This is why I love the Jewish culture. And then you kind of say, even ancient Jewish culture, how the scriptures just kind of, you know, uses that as an example. When you understand the culture, you understand what, what the Bible tells you. Paul is referring uh, to his time before his bar mitzvah, if you will. You see, a Jewish boy, when he reached at the age of 13, he has what is called a bar mitzvah. And so before the bar mitzvah, the parents are responsible for the child. And rightly, rightly so, we should. We're responsible in raising up a child in a way he or she should go so they would never return. So during, uh, you know, before the bar mitzvah, you know, the parents of this Jewish boy say, oy vey. Oy vey, I'm responsible if this kid does anything. Oy vey means woe is me in Hebrew. Okay, woe is me. Oy vey. But then, this is why they celebrate the bar mitzvah. Yes. Hava nagila hava. Hava nagila hava means let us rejoice. Let us rejoice. You know, I'm no longer, he's responsible. He's on his own now. After 13 years old of bar mitzvah, he's going to synagogue. Guess what? He's going to read the Torah, and he's, going to, he's on his own. Oh, thank God. Hava nagila hava. You see, that was the Jewish culture back then. And so Paul, you know, this is the reason why, for example, we don't baptize babies. We don't baptize infants. It's because 
what if we baptize a baby? It's up to the child when he reaches to the age of accountability to make that decision whether or not he or she wants to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and personal Savior. And you baptize a child. What if the child becomes an atheist, a Satanist priest? Because he's baptized, it's okay. No, you have to make a decision. The age of 13 is usually the age when a child becomes at the age 13 to make a good, reasonable decision, knowing what's right and what's wrong. And only God could determine whether it's 12 and a half, 12. And you know how kids, when they're 13, they love it. Oh, I'm a teenager. Whoa. Oh, they got it all figured out, 13, right? And so that's why we don't baptize babies, because no one is unscriptural. It's not biblical. There's no one in scripture ever been baptized. Kids don't know. We, don't, we can't make a decision for a child. And so this is, in case in point, Paul is saying there was one time when I was alive. I was, once, I was alive once without the law. He says, but when the commandments came, oh, here it comes. When I did my bar mitzvah, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. In other words, as he got older, as Paul got older and older, as he became a Pharisee, studying the Torah, studying the law, becoming a biblical scholar, going to rabbinical school, as he got older in life, after his bar mitzvah, after synagogue, after worship, the more and more he studied, he realized the more and more he was far from the law. He wasn't perfect. He realized it's impossible. Even as a, a Jewish thought, it's impossible to keep the law, especially that one. You should not covet. And it was something deep within. Verse 11, he says, For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. Therefore, therefore, because of all of this, the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just, and good. In other words, though the law reveals sin, though it arouses my inward passion, desire to sin, and the fruit of that brings death, though it does all those things, the law is holy, is just, because it reveals the things that offends God. There's nothing wrong with the law. Is there anything wrong with the law that shall not kill? I think everybody in this room thinks that that's a good law. We ought to keep that law. Right? I don't think anybody in this room will be in their right mind and say, no, we should get rid of that law. What do you think? Is there anything wrong with stealing? We know that's bad. That's a good law. It's good to have that law. It's good to have the law that should not, you know, lie. It's good to have that law. The laws are good. It tells us. It gives us guidelines. But, you know, we're not subject to the law. In other words, we're not... We're free from the law. And we don't break those laws out of bondage, out of rules and religion. We don't break those laws because we love Jesus. We love God. We don't want to do that. And these are the things that offend God. I don't want to do it. So the law is good. You know, there's been teachings when I, when I grew up in church where there's some Christian groups said, we're a New Testament church. Oh, we don't need the Old Testament. That's old. We don't need that. Really? Where have you been studying the Bible, Really? Every word that Jesus, when he quoted the Bible, hello, he didn't quote from the New Testament, it wasn't written yet, he quoted from the Old Testament. The Old Testament revealed who Jesus was. The Old Testament talks about when Christ would come, all the 300 Messianic prophecies. 
And the cross is really the hermeneutical filter between the old and the new. How will you understand what's new if you never understand what's old? And so they will have this teaching that the New Testament is all you need. No, that's wrong. Jesus started quoting from the Old Testament. Jesus was speaking about the commandments. And so, you know, we, we, there's a teaching out there. Don't believe in that. You have the whole Bible on your lap for a reason. And we study all, we, we, that's what we do here. We even study the Old Testament. All of it is good. It's holy. It's just. And so the problem is not with the law. The problem is with our sinful nature. Is with our sinful nature. How great it is, us, you and I, believers in Christ, to, to be set free from the law. You know, I was raised up in a way that, it, again, it made me feel so uncomfortable, as if God was up there with a baseball bat waiting to hit me because I broke a law. As if every time I fail, because we know we're Christians, we are not perfect, but we sin. Paul and John tells us that in his epistle. If we say we don't sin, we make who a liar? God a liar. That's serious stuff. And so we fail as Christians because we're not perfect. But here, praise be the Lord, that because of him, because of him, we have grace and God helps us. God helps us because of his grace and this is the reason why, you know, Jesus died to save us from the world. He died to save the world from the law, from death, from eternal damnation, and into life, eternal life. Romans chapter 6, verses 23, Paul writes, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The law is exposing all the sin that's leading us to eternal damnation. But praise be to Jesus because we accepted Jesus in our lives. We accepted Christ as our Lord and personal Savior. We now had died to the law. He is our husband. We, the church. And guys, I'm sorry, but you are the bride. And we always see the masculine pronouns. He, man, everything. Yeah, we're cool with that. But tell yeah, yeah, you're a bride, really. <laughs> Ladies, so you have one on them. You're a bride. We're a bride of Christ. He's made a way for us. We're dead to the law. We're saved by grace. Do we throw away the law? Absolutely not. The law is good. It's holy. It comes directly from God. It's good. Even as a believer, I tell you, because when I look at it, I say, wow. You know, look at all those laws. Again, it shows me how sinful a man can be and how holy God can be. Amen. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrated His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
This incredible truth applies to us even today. We didn't do anything to warrant God's acceptance and love of us. He saw us while we were still sinners and loved us despite that. Would you like to know more about what that means for you? Please give us a call at 570-296-7367. We'd also like to encourage you to find a church family you can be a part of. The believers you'll encounter there will help you grow in your faith and offer you support in every situation. If you are in the New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania area, We'd love to have you come join us here in person at Calvary Chapel of Milford. For service times and more information, visit runningtheraceradio.com. If you'd like to listen to more messages from Running the Race, Tracy has more information on how. Life these days moves fast. From one appointment to the next, most of us race through our days with blinding speed. Those in-between moments are great opportunities to connect with God by hearing from Him. To hear more encouraging words from God's Word through the ministry of Pastor Eddie, go to runningtheraceradio.com and then click on the radio page. There you'll find today's message and many more. Thanks, Tracy. Join us next time for the continuing verse-by-verse study of Romans with Pastor Eddie Pinero right here on Running the Race. 